0: This is Hannah Nordby with NDSU Adams County Extension, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied. Innovate, relate, create with NDSU Extension. Today, I'll be sitting down with Jana Block, an NDSU Extension Livestock Specialist. Jana and I are both located in the Hedinger Research Extension Center, and she has been an amazing resource for me the last two plus years. She's great at advising not only cattle producers, (laughs) but new agents with quite a bit of green behind their ears as well. (laughs) Grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes, which can help us create a better tomorrow. You're not gonna wanna miss out. Hi, everybody. I am sitting here with Jana Block, who is an NDSU livestock specialist She actually, fun fact for everybody, was the first NDSU Extension Specialist that I interviewed. And I got to say, Jana, you are my prized pupil, not pupil, just my prized episode because you have the most listens. So I have high expectations about where we're going to go with today's conversation and people's feedback. No pressure, though, right? No pressure, though. Right. Got it. Yep. (laughs) All righty, well, we'll just dive right into it, okay? Now, yep. oftentimes we hear about, you know, a producers coming in and you're talking to a neighbor and they're just really talking up this great bull that they got at the sale. And then they went and kicked him out in the pasture and by golly, he just fell apart and they just can't figure out why. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on today is Bowls can be so expensive and we just really want to make sure that people are taking the right steps to get, extend the longevity. Because I think that's another issue that people also complain about is bulls just don't seem to last as long as they used to. I know I hear that a lot. I don't know about you, but.
1: Um, sure. Yeah, I think it's, you know, bowls are kind of one of those things. Um, Kind of ignored production groups for the most part we sort of just expect them to to kind of get by on a maintenance type ration without a whole lot of extra attention and you know as you and i were talking about earlier i very rarely get any type of questions about bull management and so coming into bull sale season you know we just thought it would be valuable to kind of talk about how we're managing those purchase bulls um, the yearlings that still have some growing to do and, you know, maybe need a little bit more than that maintenance diet that our mature bulls would need.
0: Right. Well, I guess we'll kind of start start in and on with the questions and everything. But to start with, are there any specific questions producers should ask sellers before or initially after making the big purchase?
1: Well, I mean, besides the... The ordinary questions of checking into, you know, the genetic components and EPDs and all that important kind of th- information. Um, we want to have a good um, background on the vaccination and herd health history um, of that bull that we're looking at. Um, and one thing that people might not think to ask about is what kind of diet were they on during the development phase. So. Uh, What were the components used in the ration? What were the amounts of each feed ingredient? And what, you know, what was the target growth rate for that bull um, during development? Because those things are really important to know so that we can um, kind of use that basal diet as a starting point for kind of stepping them down um, onto the ration that they'll be at at the home place. Are
0: there any specific ranges? you know, you just mentioned a, a several different bullet points, but do you have any specific ranges as far as, you know, rate of gain or anything that is ideal or something that would be a red flag or just being aware of what kind of ration they were on before bringing them home is the important part?
1: Yeah. I mean, each operation will likely have its own philosophy about developing the bulls. Um, sometimes there may be on more of you know, a, a high forage diet that they would experience, you know, at, at the commercial producer's operation. Um, but, but many other purebred produ- producers might be targeting a high rate of gain with a high concentrate diet. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to make this work it just depends on what the goals are. So, um, you know, as long as a producer likes the bowl and thinks they're at a good weight, um, you know, in relation to, what their mature size would be, um, and not overly fleshy, but not underfed. I mean, those are the important things, but, but just getting a handle on, you know, what that producer's philosophy is on developing the bulls and understanding the type of diet that they've, you know, that they've been developed on um, is probably the most important point.
0: Right, as we say in extension all the time, when people come in with questions, it is, well, it depends. And it's complicated. (laughs) Exactly. Yep, that sums it up. All right, well, we'll we'll move along on the timeline. You know, you you brought your prize bowl home where it got delivered to your place and everything. Let's talk about step-down nutrition. So first things first, determining a starting spot. So we talked about make sure you communicate with the seller. What kind of ration were they on? prior to them, you know, landing on your place um yeah, where do they go from there?
1: So what what we want to avoid doing is immediately taking that bull after the sale and and sending them out to pasture or just kicking them in a lot with a bunch of other production groups and and putting them on a complete forage based ration right away assuming that they have been developed on some level of concentrate. We need to kind of think about stepping those bulls down off the concentrate. So a typical step-down ration, and again, there's there's lots of variations and ways to do this, but you might think about, okay, so if they were previously getting, say, 15 pounds of a concentrate, you would start at maybe 80% of that um, for their initial ration once you get them home. And then step that down maybe by 15 to 20% a week um, total over that week until you're down to mostly a forage-based ration. Um, I think it is important to remember that we still need those yearling bulls to be gaining weight going into breeding season. So you don't want to completely take them off a concentrate and get them on um, a forage-based ration that won't meet those goals that we need for gain. Um, they're still going to need probably around 11% protein and a 60 to 65% TDN or energy content in their diet. So, I mean, you could probably meet the protein requirement, but, um, that energy might need a little bit of concentrate to kind of kick that up a little bit. So, um, those are kind of, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of ways to actually accomplish this, but that's just one example of kind of stepping those poles down.
0: Right, and I appreciate you using some specific percentages and giving people a nice, this is how you can really step things down and just, it's something that takes time, right? And just like when you're trying to increase feed for calves in the fall, putting them on a feedlot ration, the same thing goes for your bulls. Um, And I mean, we also have to remember they're still growing, they're not a mature bull yet, and... I mean, just like teenagers, I don't know about you, but it's where my brothers used to eat us out of house. I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think like you said, we, we don't just immediately introduce animals to a 40% concentrate diet. That's something that we do over several weeks. And the reason that we do that is because of the different microbial populations in the rumen and the different substrates that they prefer. And so there's a, there's billions of species and it would get very technical if we talked about, you know, um, what, what each nutrient, um, each species prefers as far as, you know, how to reproduce most effectively and utilize all those nutrients in the rumen. but in like to kind of pare it down, we basically have starch digesting bacteria and fiber digesters. And so, When we're adapting those animals to the high grain ration, what we're basically doing is building up that starch digesting population. And those populations are extremely efficient and they reproduce really quickly. And so what happens is if we immediately remove that concentrate, we have a rumen population that essentially has no substrate because we've completely taken out the starch and now there's only a fiber source if we're just feeding forage. And the fiber digesters are a little bit less efficient and it kind of takes them some more time to get up to um, the levels that we would want as far as populations in the rumen. And so that's where we would see, you know, potentially bulls going off feed, maybe some digestive upset and that severe weight loss because they're just not able to utilize That forage based diet because of those changes that we've created in the rumen that were so abrupt.
0: Right. I took a semester long class on ruminant physiology and I learned so much, but I completely agree. Uh, It's not something that you can cover in a 20 minute podcast. I wouldn't want to try, honestly. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no. Does body condition scoring? Play into this at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So many of you are probably really familiar with body condition scoring. So we're basically just assessing that animal and the past nutritional management, um, muscle and fat stores, basically. And we're looking at different places, looking over the ribs, the spine, hooks and pins um, in the hind quarter, of course. Um, So thinking about the scale running from a one, with with that level being pretty emaciated. We don't often see a one in our production systems here in the state. Um, Nine being very obese. And those cows are out there, but again, that's probably less common. Most of the time we see cows and bulls in condition scores of four to seven or so. Um, And so kind of our goal for breeding season is around that five and a half to six and a half body condition score. The number itself isn't maybe that important, but we're going to make sure that we're not seeing ribs or, um, any outline of the vertebra, um, the hindquarters should be full and rounded out. Um, there might be a little bit of fat in the tailhead and, and maybe some in the brisket. They're not overly fat. Um, I've kind of, I've heard some people reference, um, you want them like a football player, kind of lean, mean, and aggressive and ready to go to work. So not overly fat, but you definitely don't want them thin because when you think about what you're asking these bulls to do, um, they have a huge job ahead of them, you know, however long the breeding season happens to be, and they are definitely going to lose condition over that that period of time. And so by having a little bit of condition to work with, um, you won't draw them down to the point that production is gonna be impacted, um, but they're still gonna be able to go to work and and be, you know, hopefully um, be a good breeder for you.
0: Right. I mean, if you get get a football player too heavy, you know, he gets to be kind of lazy. And so, I mean, right. again, setting those bulls up for success because that's the next calf crop that's going to be your paycheck come the fall. Now, um, okay, we've kind of chatted about a couple of these other points. But I mean, essentially what you're telling us is Um, when you bring home your prized bull and throw them in a pen with a straw bale, that is not the way to do step-down nutrition, right? That's the big take-home message everybody should remember.
1: Right. I mean, so first of all, again, we want to remember that we want those bulls to still be gaining. So they're definitely not going to gain on a rotten old straw bale. Um, And so we're going to be shooting for that gain Around one and a half to two and a half pounds, just again depending on the 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 current weight of the bull and also the bull's estimated mature weight. Um, We don't really have a yearling weight that's standard, you know, recommended yearling weight. Um, But if you kind of know what the mature weight of that bull should be, uh, we know that we want them to be seventy five percent of mature weight as a two year old. So just thinking about, you know, the fact that they're going to go down a little bit during this breeding season and then we're going to want them to get back on the gain a little bit so that we can reach that 75% of mature weight.
0: No, that makes complete sense. Can you explain to listeners what can be some of the negative consequences of making a harsh change in nutrition? I mean, I know sometimes there's that saying that says, Oh, well, we've done that. That's what my grandpa did. And that's what my dad did. And you know, not to throw anybody under the bus, but just to kind of help people understand what's at
1: stake. Well, I think it goes back to thinking about how our diet components affect the microbial population because in all actuality, we're not necessarily feeding the bull, we're feeding the microbes. So we have to think about um, just keeping that rumen nice and healthy, um, making sure there is a good forage source but, but also again, just taking things slowly and gradually adapting them to the ration, um, just rapid changes cause a lot of issues in the, in the rumen. Um, we can change pH, we can change just some of the fermentation, um, that's going on just based on those different nutrients that are available. And again, there's just kind of a crash you might say. And so that's again, like I talked about, where they're just not going to perform well, you're going to see rapid weight loss, and um, you're not going to get the optimum performance that you could get if they were managed properly. The other thing we need to think about is um, how long are you going to have these bulls prior to the start of breeding season. So the process of spermatogenesis takes 60 days. And so we don't want to do anything um, during from from the start of spermatogenesis until the first day of breeding season that would that might shift um, or potentially affect that process. So making sure that you've gotten those changes made um, at least 90 days prior to the breeding season and that bull is is comfortable and on their appropriate rate of gain and on the ration you're gonna want them to be on um, would be a really good idea just to avoid any potential impacts on reproduction.
0: Right, making sure we've got some quality semen going coming out and everything no I mean as you were talking about it I just I got to thinking about athletics and sports and how our athletes they're really tuned into their nutrition and I mean you can't expect an Olympic runner to do their run their best race if you know you put them on either a you know, a crash diet and expect them to lose five, like 10 pounds the week before their big race or something like that. Or, you know, wrestlers and nutrition is so important. And I know we're talking about animals, but I know sometimes it just kind of helps me connect the dots and you kind of have that aha moment and and everything, but.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Okay, we're starting to kind of wrap things up. This is kind of related to, this is a little bit, not so much along the nutrition side of things, but maybe more along the lines of just general care. What advice do you have about introducing new bulls to the group? I, I imagine that's gonna affect, there's the pecking order to be thinking about and you know how that affects their intake. What do you have for us there?
1: Um, well, first of all, we definitely want to think about biosecurity as far as bringing new animals home. And so uh, really should have those new bowls kind of separated, not, inter- you know, not interacting, not sharing feed or water sources with any other um, critters for at least um, two weeks. That's kind of a minimum recommended timeline is 30 days, um, just to kind of make sure we're not Going to be rapidly introducing things. So, um, again, hopefully you've got good information about the vaccination protocols and what's you know how that bull's been handled in the past. Um, but kind of just keeping an eye on health things and making sure that they're they're good and healthy before introducing them. Um, I guess just thinking about introducing bulls. I mean, you know want to make sure that they've got adequate room. Um, You don't, you don't want too many in a small area because they're just going to tear things apart. Um, There's all kinds of wives tales and things out there where they talk about, I've heard one, heard one last year that said, if you pour their backs with apple cider vinegar, the bulls won't fight. I don't know if that's true or not, but it'd be interesting if some people wanted to test that one out and see if that works for introducing some new bulls into the herd. You're not volunteering yourself and your operation? <laughs> yes. I just, there was a video and they talked about um, just pouring them in the trailer basically before they let them out. And it kind of seemed like it might work, but I'm not sure what the science or physiology behind that might be. It was kind of interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess if anybody else has any
0: good wives' health, they can send them our way, huh? Yeah. I don't know if this is too soon, but when you were talking about keeping them away from the rest of the bunch for that two-week period, all I could think of was quarantine. It can be the quarantine bed.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes, you have to social distance your bowls.
0: <laughs> CDC recommendations or guidelines. Right. Uh, probably should edit that part out. Maybe <laughs> making fun of CDC. <laughs> Oh, all righty. We are going to, I've got my last two questions for you. The first one is I know every year I always look forward to bull sale semen because I really like going to sales with my dad and kind of seeing. Um, you do
1: know, you just said bull sale semen.
0: Oh, bull sale. Okay. Well, we're going to edit that out. So take two yeah. again, take three. <laughs> 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 Alrighty, as we're moving towards wrapping things up one of my last questions I have for you is what your favorite part of bull sale season is I know personally I really enjoy meeting up with my dad and walking through the different bowls and looking at EPDs and I also think it's really cool because we'll be going through the catalog and he'll point out different you know, dams or sires that, Ooh, this was a really good one. Or this one had good udders or, Ooh, that temperament on this one was just awful. And I just think it's really cool because I, you know, don't have that background like he does, but is there a particular part that you really enjoy?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I am kind of a person that likes to get the catalogs ahead of time and, look through and I kind of circle or star the ones that, you know, that like, as my husband and I are, are talking about our goals or what we want um, you know, what bulls kind of really ca- catch our eye with their numbers. And if there's a picture there that also helps. Um, but then we really like to go to sales and see the bulls, you know, in person to really get a look at them. And I mean, what's their frame size look like? How do they travel? And, I mean, you can kind of, you're just picturing in your head um, what that next calf crop is going to look like and, you know, how they're going to hopefully contribute to the genetic advancement of your herd. So it's really exciting, I guess, just thinking about the future and, and making plans for that.
0: For sure. I think one of, I always just think about we'll be in a a pen looking at a couple different bowls and dad's like, I don't know, Hannah, I think this one's kind of short What do you think? Or, you, you know, that one's, you know, the shoulder doesn't set right. And I mean, even that part, I we talk about livestock judging, but even just being able to evaluate with your family members, I can, is just kind of special. And of course, there, I know there's a lot of family members that have different opinions, but it's a good time to just kind of go back and forth and
1: a healthy debate. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Like you said, everybody will have a different opinion, but at the end of the day, you got to decide on something. <laughs> yes, Exactly.
0: Okay. Last question. Were you in 4-H growing up? Well, of course I was. Yeah, of course you were. Of course <laughs> you were, right? How else did you get roped into extension and being an agent and now a specialist?
1: You know, the funny thing about that is I was in 4-H and that's honestly when when I saw advertisement for extension agent positions, I thought, how hard can that be? I know what our 4-H agent did, right? Well, I actually had zero idea what the extension agent actually did. And it was a very much a, an eye-opening experience when I got hired on with Montana State Extension, fresh out of my master's degree. So, but yes, 4-H definitely kind of was a huge part of my youth and and kind of sent me down the extension path, I guess you'd say.
0: And you would encourage anybody that had more questions about what it's like to be an extension agent to, I wouldn't even say hang out for a day because every day is so different. You know, almost like a week or a month or, you know, if you can just hang out for a year to a year long internship or something <laughs> crazy like that, that might give you a halfway decent idea.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, When I was in Extension in Montana, we had a really good internship program, and I know NDSU does as well. And I would definitely recommend um, if if you are thinking about a career in extension, uh, trying to get one of those internships because that will really give you the best picture of what that job might look like. And I know I had three interns over the course of my career in Montana and One of them ended up going into extension and two decided to take other routes. So um, kind of saved themselves some hassle by deciding that at that point that wasn't for them. But they also got some good experience along the way.
0: Right, for sure. I did one of those intern programs. And for those of you that know Kurt Freilich, that was my mentor. And so you can about imagine what it was like (laughs) in that office, but...
1: I hope Kurt listens to this <laughs> shout
0: out. Oh, I'll, I'll make sure to email it his way. And make yeah. sure he listens. So, yep. okay. Well, thank you, Jana. I appreciate it so much that you were able to chat with me today. And like I said, no pressure, but I kind of have high expectations for this. I know people really enjoy listening to you and appreciate what you have to share with them.
1: Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It's been great talking to you. And that's a wrap. Alrighty. If you found yourself tapping
0: along to our theme music, those rights go out to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Thursdays are launch days for new episodes. A final thanks to Nolan Dix over on the mix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl. Sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown. And of course, to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. If you're having trouble or have any sort of question, give me a call at 701-567-2735 and just ask for Hannah. Until next time, take care. We'll